don't necessarily go with the person that that's going to place the biggest order as quickly as possible with you but find someone that shares an input of it shares the same values as you and um and work with them long term to grow your brand in, in, in japan kia ora my name is jade gray and welcome to the asia hustle podcast this is the podcast that provides new zealand businesses deep up to the minute insights into the complex asian marketplaces through first-hand accounts from the business people and thought leaders in the midst of all the action. Greeting listeners, we are joined today at Asia Hustle with Don Roxburgh. Don is based up in Scuba, approximately 70 kilometers north of Tokyo. Welcome, Don. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Hey, pleasure, Don, and, and really good to have you on the show because I asked around my network and uh, your name came up regularly has been a Kiwi who's doing great things up in market uh, for many years, probably actually many decades. And uh, really good to have you here to share your insights today, especially uh, during the COVID time, all the changes happening, no doubt, um, up in Japan. So for our listeners, Don has been up in Japan while well, he first started his relationship there in 1990 as an AFS exchange student. He got a BA from the Kyoto University in his law department and has worked for 17 years in finance and investment for multinational companies in Japan, New Zealand, and India. Uh, most recently, Don followed his passion for wellness and founded the Wholesome Japan Company, uh, which provides market entry services for companies wanting to enter the Japanese market with a focus uh, primarily on health foods and skincare products. Um, they also have their own importing and distribution business. Don is fluent in Japanese and walks the wellness talk uh, through challenging himself with some ultra marathons and trail runs. Um, so you are definitely the man to have on board, Don, for this chat around wellness, health, and uh, New Zealand's role in that in Japan. Don, just want to um, kick off a question, which is, I guess, a, a bit of a uh, front row seat um, from you. How is the Abe government handling COVID? And what's kind of been your approach to it? It sounds quite a moderate approach. Um, I understand the restaurants are even open there whole way through uh, COVID and what are you feeling on the ground up there? If you'd asked me that, this question uh, a few weeks ago, I'd probably give you a little bit of a uh, different answer. I was quite concerned at one point about Japan and particularly Tokyo going, you know, similar direction as what we've seen in New York and Italy where you've got overcrowded hospitals and um, a, a huge number of people with uh, with the virus. It hasn't played out as severely in Japan as, as I was bracing myself for a few weeks ago. Japan was very moderate in its approach, as you mentioned. Um, it wasn't until early April that Japan really put a focus on um, getting people to work from home and uh, reduce their uh, exposure to others. They only did that initially in seven cities in Japan. And then the seven cities were the ones, including Tokyo, that had had, uh, had the, the largest number of cases and whose hospitals were kind of starting to burst a creek at the seams. From the, the 16th of, of last month of, of April, they expanded that to the entire country to cover um, the golden week period, which has been a holiday period where everyone was planning on uh, taking time off. Usually it'd be a time for going on, on holiday. But this year, obviously, there's no flight. We saw that transportation, the airplanes, the, the Shinkansens, they're operating 85% down on previous years. Japan government itself, though, has been, they haven't done themselves a lot of favors in, in how they've handled the crisis. And, they've, and only in the paper yesterday was showing that 
of, of 23 or 28 com countries polled, the Japanese public had the lowest opinion of, of how their government had uh, handled the crisis. You know, we've had some huge natural disasters over the years, just like New Zealand. Um, but yeah, uh, we've come through them all uh, stronger at, at, at the other side. And Japan society, even though it's got this, uh, Westerners have this impression of, of it being quite kind of fixed in its ways and relatively traditional, it does change quickly when it needs to. And I'm looking forward to seeing how it changes as a result of, of, of the COVID-19. Uh, little things that globally are, are seem rather small, but for Japan are quite significant. The move away to um, working remotely. Also little things like, you know, not being able to work in the office means that Japan has to reduce its dependency on fax machines and and maybe even the the traditional uh, stamps that they use. And there's going to be a lot of change that happens in a relatively short time, just with those little details of of some of the things that Japan's been sticking to for well past their due date. I think um, the businesses that have strong leadership and flexible leadership are going to thrive from now on because there's going to be a lot of more traditional businesses with more fixed uh, thinking in the leadership that won't be able to keep up. And um, that's going to be quite interesting to see uh, over the next few months. Yeah, you mentioned strong leadership, how maybe traditional companies may not get through this, maybe more flexible ones will. And communities, governments, industry look around the world for what leadership initiatives are working, what styles of leadership are working. Some of the readings I've done and, and anecdotal evidence is that Japan is more and more recognizing New Zealand as a strength of, of leadership. Um, and that obviously comes through from years of dealing with our, our rugby teams and the sporting culture. Uh, at the Rugby World Cup, you know, we had Michael Leach and Jamie Joseph, um, captain and coach uh, of the national team that did incredible things. Uh, you've mentioned other areas uh, in our previous conversations, Don, around TPP and, and even Jacinda Ardern's profile, uh, rising profile in Japan. How does that play off in, in terms of a New Zealand uh, image and, and how can we leverage that reputation for leadership across our trade industries? Yeah, leadership, there's lots of different aspects to it. We don't have the, the large size and the vol volume and the clout that many of their uh, other trading partners have. And so we've got to be more precision-like uh, precision in how we, we affect change and use our resources. At the moment, we're in a good, a good space in Japan, as you, as you allude to. Rugby is, is very fondly remembered in the, in the minds of the Japanese public after a wonderful Rugby World Cup. Even before that, we'd seen a lot of warming and um, strengthening of the ties between Japan and New Zealand. On the kind of political level, Japan, New Zealand, Australia, Canada combining so well together to get TPP through, despite the US pulling out at, that, at the last minute like they did and now having a really solid trading, trade agreement between us. That's really worked out well for um, the profile of New Zealand and uh, in Japan. One of the real key challenges for Japan that's been highlighted by the Abe government for a number of years now is how to get women more into the workforce. When I say women, I mean mothers particularly. And in that sense, uh, the leadership of, of Jacinda Ardern and 
inspiring leadership around that as far as having a having a, a child and just pr- showing people that the norm in Japan of of having to be home uh, and do things the the traditional way is yeah is something that is maybe not a re- as much a reality as it used to be and, and the global expectations are quite can be quite different and it's provide a bit of an inspiration for females here in Japan fascinating Don and um, without going to domestic politics around the handling of COVID um, for or against, but definitely her star abroad has taken to high levels during this COVID crisis. And uh, no matter which continent you look at, um, her name is constantly coming up. And we'll be curious to see what impact does that have on, on our trade. Um, and we do spend millions a year on, on uh, campaigns such as 100% New Zealand, uh, putting money into teams like All Blacks to drive the New Zealand brand. Um, I think there's beyond doubt um, that the Prime Minister has her own uh, dollar figure in terms of adding to our trade uh, abroad. That is becoming very clear. Don, right across Asia, we're seeing a bigger focus on health by consumers, and in particular around immune boosting uh, properties. Uh, and products which really are seen to enhance uh, people's well-being. With the closing of retail and a big push towards online, um, this hasn't slowed down whatsoever. And in fact, New Zealand's trade in the space has been skyrocketing. Um, I actually came across an article on NZTE talking about there was a TV show in Japan that uh, mentioned Manuka Honey was um, had properties to help boost your immunity and their sales spiked by 400% as a result of that TV show. In your industry, you're right in the thick of it. What are you seeing? Is that you're seeing right across uh, all of FMB, or is it just in that nutraceutical market? Um, how is this playing out, this health crisis in regards to New Zealand exports? What I'm seeing is, is exactly what you have just described. Uh, Manuka Honey, its reputation was out there before COVID-19, and it's only been enhanced as a, as a result of it. Um, and as you mentioned, there's been some some factors like it being featured on a TV show. And um, as Japanese quite often do, um, <laughs> there was a big flock to, to, to get Manuka honey. And, and uh, I, I benefited from that as well. Um, I also hear from uh, my suppliers of, of black currants that New Zealand has been exporting lots and lots of black, black currants to, um, to Japan over the last few months. And um, as many people may, may already know, black currants, uh, the vitamin C, the, the anthocyanins and other factors uh, are wonderful for um, boosting, boosting health. Retail sales generally of those healthy products uh, are, are up, but online is, is definitely driving it for, for us personally, uh, specifically. We're very lucky to have been in a position to, to be able to execute on the orders that have come in. When we're talking about the Greater New Zealand story, to New Zealand's credit, we've managed to keep product coming into Japan. The ships are still coming across the border. Flights are still uh, are relatively constrained. So air freight is, is, um, has gone up in price and uh, there's fewer, there's lower availability. But um, products are still coming to Japan. You're still seeing New Zealand apples in the supermarkets here. You're still seeing New Zealand squash and the kiwi fruit. Don, if we look at... You know, this wellness, it's beyond just health foods. And we've seen in China, for example, Liz Mills um, has had an incredible uptake in their online fitness programs and really pivoted 
uh, in response to, to, the, to the challenge at hand. Are you seeing it in other areas of wellness? I know you're a keen athlete yourself. Are you seeing that playing out in terms of people getting out more? I know obviously you know, with the Olympics um, being delayed, but it's still very much part of, of the goals of, of the Japanese government right now to, to throw an incredible Olympics and get the country behind a more of a sports lifestyle. How is that playing with the COVID crisis? The COVID crisis has most affected the ability of people to go to gyms. In the larger cities, people are running with masks on now, which is, as a runner, I can tell you, is quite, um, quite challenging. <laughs> Wellness and has been an increase, uh, increasingly growing sector for a number of years now in Japan. And to give you a little bit of perspective, um, I went back to New Zealand to live in 2003. And before I went back to New Zealand, my co colleagues at the office were all smoking and uh, there was a, a talk about um, tobacco communication where you'd have it go down to, to smoke outside and, and all the water cooler talk would be done uh, outside. I went back a few, a few years later to find that those guys were now working out and going to the gym. Um, the amount of overtime that the companies were doing has dropped significantly. You know, we were working to 10 and 12 and one o'clock at night on a regular basis and, and that had, had, had reduced significantly. When I mentioned earlier about Japan's ability to change in a really short period of time, um, there, that's a, a bit of an example of that. And those uh, people that, that were running um, back then, the population amongst my friends has increased significantly over the last few years. And part of what inspired me to set up my, my current business dealing with healthy food is just the anticipation that the move I personally experienced from working long hours to getting out and exercising more um, would pass through to the food culture as well and hopefully to eating better and cleaner food. Um, to be honest, the speed of that transition uh, over the last four, four years since I started my business hasn't been as... as um, as quick as I was hoping it would be, but I'm definitely starting to see the sprouts coming through uh, of, of a, a greater trend towards that. But I'm anticipating that the, the rethink that goes on in these situations and the fact that people are cooking, from, are cooking at home more often, they're spending less on eating out, um, may uh, encourage people to shift away from their mindset of buying cheap food to buying food that's of a, a, of a higher quality. With the take on people spending more and looking for produce, which they trust, have the health benefits that you're talking about, we've definitely seen in other parts of Asia uh, the uptake of some incredible brands that really managed to get the, not just the wellness right, the health benefits, but also the technology behind it and, and gelling the two. And I'll give you a you know, good example, when a, A2 milk has been you know, one of the, the true success stories of, of New Zealand exports in, in, in the last years. Uh, you've got other companies like Tamana Lamb uh, really playing on their omega-3 properties of their lamb. Are we seeing this coming through? Do you see that kind of what I would call well tech playing out a market where you're really pushing things like the UMF of Manuka honeys and there's really something that's driven by technology, the IP of the product. Um, are we seeing an uptake of that and are Kiwi companies getting better at delivering that story? There are challenges in Japan as far as the regulations and how how strong you can you can push the 
um, the health benefits to the consumer. So I'm guessing that might be reducing the speed of the take up of some of those products in Japan. Um, obviously, UMF uh, uh, Honey has 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 made it through that, and it's it's well established here in Japan. But you're still limited in what you can can write about the properties of the honey on the on the labels and that sort of thing. Japan's brought in, in some new regulations recently, uh, which enables you to put more claims on, you know, the, the, the nutritional values of your, your product on the packaging and that sort of thing. Some companies uh, are starting to, to do that, but it's quite expensive to, to get those through and into market. So um, I'm guessing that that's something that's um, a little bit of blue sky for, for New Zealand companies to start to, to work, on, work with in Japan. Right. In regards to this movement of health, we've seen in the West for probably last at least three to five years, a big movement towards plant-based diets. And we're seeing it in the numbers from you know, companies like Beyond Meats and Impossible Burger and Oatly Milks uh, and whatnot, and the incredible valuations they're getting right now. Uh, and also last week in China, there's been a big push. Um, Starbucks launched uh, Oatly Milk. That's the vegan uh, milk option. Uh, as well as some vegan meats, um, as did KFC with their vegan chicken nuggets. Um, so there's a real push in China in that space. In Japan, do you see a movement um, towards more plant-based living and, and in particular plant-based proteins? That's, a, that's an interesting question. And um, one of the things that has been a, a bit of a focus for companies in preparation for the Olympics uh, for Japan is how to get food um, that's better tailored for the for, for the Western uh, diets. When we, we can talk about plant-based, we can talk about gluten-free, um, no additives. There's lots of different aspects to the, to that uh, aside from just plant plant-based. Japan has been quite slow in moving towards catering to those demands. You know, another aspect is you know the paleo and also the keto diets. Um, you, you see a lot of products in New Zealand advertising to, to, to those particular diet preferences. But in Japan, I get asked, what's, what is paleo? What's keto? Um, and the consumer is, is still, still not really widely aware of, of what they are. Yeah, no, I've uh, had that similar challenge in restaurants in China. Um, Don and, and just trying to explain the difference between vegetarianism and veganism has, has been quite a challenge. Um, and just even the translation in China, uh, one is basically vegetable diet, the other is complete vegetable diet. So, you know, it's a real, <laughs> but, but um, like you said, there is definitely an uptake happening and, and there is a, a speed to move towards it. I'm sure the Olympics will be a, a big drive um, in, in regards to that. Don, with the marketing into japan for many years i've heard of uh, stories that it can be quite fickle and to really get your message on cue uh takes incredible amount of experience and research and you know i imagine like a lot of asian markets a bit of luck um to really get all the ducks lined up to get that that winning winning goal i've heard of people who have shipped up containers of new zealand water in bottle form everything was done but because the date read year, month, day, and it should have read month, day, year, or whatever the uh, sequence was, it was basically turned back and it couldn't even go onto the supermarket shelves. Run us a little bit through um, how challenging is that around packaging, marketing, 
and um, is, is that changing? The short answer is no, it's not changing. Um, you, as an exporter from New Zealand, you can't rock up to Japan and expect to take your New Zealand product as is and, and put it on a shelf in Japan. Uh, you need to know um, your product in depth and you need to know the regulations in depth. Um, some, some specific examples of that are, you know, we're talking about you know, anecdote about the best before date. That's completely true. Yeah, and Japan has to be in year, month, day format. And um, uh, you can only get around that by relabeling it. For a lot of the products I bring in, we we we, we relabel that in um, in Japan the product in Japan anyway with a, a proper Japanese label that explains the ingredients, and um, the ingredients have to have to be listed in, in detail in the right order. You also need to be aware of things like Japan has more things that are specified as allergens that you have to have on the label than um, than New Zealand has. Uh, there's also things that are considered healthy in foods in New Zealand, but uh, are con considered to be additives in Japan. There's also products that, that need to be tested for natural poisons, um, which in New Zealand, the ingredient is available in, in bulk on the shelf in New Zealand, but it has to be tested for natural poisons here in Japan. So there's, there's definitely details around that. To get you through all these details, one of the key for successes in Japan is to take the long-term view. Don't expect overnight sensation. Don't don't go with a person that's prepared. Don't necessarily go with a person that that's going to place the biggest order as quickly as possible with you. But find someone that shares an input of it, shares the same values as you, and um, and work with them long-term to grow your brand in in, in Japan grow your van and, uh, brand and present your values, your product and your values of yourself as a country, a company in Japan. Products that are here long-term, they've got good partners. And it doesn't come overnight. Yeah, Japan's a big market and it's 120 million people and there's lots of advertising dollars being spent on TV every night and the, putting the consumer to, uh, you know, the, the big brands. Um, and so you just got to chip away at it and, and make sure that your, your brand is being represented um, with the values and the ethos that you want it to, that you as the, the producer uh, aspire to. Great. Don, just to finish off, I'd love your take on for New Zealand exporters, uh, producers here looking to tap into the Japanese market. Um, which has been so stable for so long for New Zealand. What have you learned in these 30, 40 years in market that you'd really love to pass on to our traders? The big takeaway for you in terms of entering the market? If I was to give maybe three or four different points, my, my, the first one would be to be here for the long term. Don't, don't expect an overnight um, huge sales like you might have seen in other countries with, with you know, a big change just takes you on and, and you're, you're there. Um, the second thing would be to know your product and know the ingredients. It's all right to talk about, you know, 100% New Zealand pure and, and trying to play off that image, but you do have to know that the specifics of it. And for Japan, the specifics include things like, um, uh, for example, does your salt have additives in it? If you have an additive-free product, you might have overlooked that the salt 
has additives in it. That that little bit of detail that um, as a producer you're thinking maybe she'll be right. Uh, salt never heard of additives in it, but you need to to know those details. And for New Zealand producers, you know, um, aerobic plate counts for you know our products, the bacteria and, and the yeasts and molds. Japan has quite low thresholds in their market, and um, yeah, make sure you can can meet them. And then there's the packaging. Japan, like a lot of Asian countries, is a hot, humid uh, country that expects product to laugh, last for a reasonable amount of time on the shelf. Make sure your packaging is 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 up to the up to the up to the grade for that. And also, yeah, I have. If you want to leverage the New Zealand aspect, then you really need to be able to explain why your product connect your product back to New Zealand and and have it make it as a have a differentiator um, for why your product is deserves the premium that uh, that is probably going to be needed to for the Japan market. Um, New Zealand products aren't cheap when you look at the global alternatives, but I think in the current climate. There's, op there's opportunities for, for um, obtaining the premium that we need. Um, and the opportunities for New Zealand are not just amongst of coming off the back of our, uh, our image and our profile, but also I see that going forward into the future, food security is going to be, uh, and, and quality of, of food security is, is going to be a key um, matter that economies need to address and New Zealand is, yeah, there's nothing stopping New Zealand from being a, a garden for Japan, uh, supplying us, supplying Japan with fabulous products. That, um, we've got a short transit to Japan and, um, you know, stable leadership, stable relationship and um, uh, a lot of mutual respect between the two countries. Hey, just want to say a huge thanks for um, taking time out to share with us today. And, you know, I'm completely sold on New Zealand's position in the world, uh, the global economy moving forwards and the importance of wellness and this whole well-tech space um, to ensure the, the strong recovery to our, our economy. And great to have guys like you and Market um, doing it and flying the flag. So best of luck with your ventures um, and look forward to checking you out. Um, up in Tokyo, hopefully, uh, for next year's Olympics. Cheers, Jake. Many thanks for tuning in to this edition of Asia Hustle. We are up to episode seven. Three more to go on this first uh, test run. And really excited because we've got three guests lined up uh, who really do know the Asia region uh, incredibly well and going to get a wealth of information uh, from those in the next coming weeks. So make sure you do tune into that. Uh, you can see all of our episodes at our website, Asia Hustle. Dot com and obviously follow us on facebook twitter linkedin uh, you can also listen at apple Podcasts, spotify soundcloud and do leave a comment uh, it gives us lots of information to work with and uh, ideas suggestions uh, for upcoming shows so uh, until next time tune in uh, every thursday here at asia hustle i am jade gray have a great week and we'll catch you on the next show <laughs>